Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Metaverticing Podcast, your podcast about metaverse, marketing, advertising, and related trends in the tech world. I'm your host, Eli Santos, and this podcast is all about exploring the metaverse and the possibilities of it with people that are at the core of its development. And of course, how marketing is going to be related with everything. And today, I'm extremely excited to welcome Louis Rosenberg. Louis, say hi to everyone. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to have you in here today, Lois. So guys, Dr. Lois Rosenberg uh, is a pioneer in the fields of virtual and augmented reality. His work began over 30 years ago in labs at Stanford, NASA, and the US Air Force, where he developed the first functional augmented reality system. Dr. Rosenberg has also founded many companies over the years, including Immersion Corporation, which actually went to public in 99, Outland Research, and is now heading unanimous AI. So Lois, Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and your background. We would love to hear it. Sure. Uh, so uh, I have been a technologist uh, my whole career, uh, going back uh, to uh, first doing a, a PhD at Stanford, focused on human-computer interaction, and that's really where I uh, first got involved in, in virtual reality, and then uh, soon after that, augmented reality. And so... Uh, I've been a real fan and proponent of, of the metaverse from really from the very beginning. Uh, I actually started as a, a researcher at NASA in uh, working on virtual reality vision systems. And so the, the very first work that I did was uh, was looking at interocular distance, the distance between your eyes. Uh, writing software to optimize depth perception and running tests to to really see how to how to make that work uh, the best it, it could and and that was my first kind of long term in, uh, experience with with virtual reality uh, this was ninety one um, I was immediately captivated by virtual worlds I was really convinced that one day it would change society. I will admit I thought it would happen much sooner than it did. Um, I, you know, I think we're actually very close right now, but I uh, I thought that we would have been close uh, around the year 2000, uh, back in the early 90s when, when I uh, was first involved. Um, and, and so I uh, was very excited about virtual reality from, from the beginning. That said, you know, my experience at NASA was interesting because I spent a lot of time programming and, um, and using various types of vision systems and, and actually didn't like being cut off from the real world. It, uh, I felt like it was isolating and confining. And what I really wanted to do was, was take what, you know, this magic of, of virtual reality and just splash it all over the real world. And, and this was before the phrase uh, augmented reality was in use. Uh, it, so it was, it was really a, a new concept. And I, in, in 91, I pitched it to the U.S. Air Force and said, hey, uh, this, is, this is what I'd really like to explore. And I was lucky enough that they, uh, they funded me to, uh, to go to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and, uh, and build what became really the, the first real interactive augmented reality system. Uh, it was called the Virtual Fixtures Platform. And, and believe it or not, it required about a million dollars worth of hardware Back then, uh, things were things were not as high fidelity and much more expensive. I had it had a, a vision system that, that hung from the ceiling. It had an exoskeleton that people would climb into uh, that that tracked people's motions and also uh, provided uh, haptic feedback. And um, 
And really, it was a, it was a system where, for the very first time, people could reach out and interact with the mixed reality of real and virtual worlds. And um, and it was you know really interesting research because it it showed for the first time that augmented reality could actually enhance people's performance. But what was the bigger impact on me than than the actual you know, research studies that I published? was the reaction that people had when they climbed out of the system. So I had lots of human subjects would come through and they would climb out of this exoskeleton and, and it was the first time they had experienced anything like this. They probably had never heard of virtual reality, certainly hadn't heard of augmented reality. Uh, and they would say, you know, this, you know, one day this is going to be how we interact with computers. And, and I really believed it. And so in, uh, in 1993, I founded Immersion Corporation, uh, my first company which was uh, one of the early virtual reality companies and um, spent uh, uh, well over a decade uh, running uh, running and, and working uh, at Immersion where we developed all kinds of virtual reality systems. Uh, the, the very first virtual reality simulators for medical, uh, medical simulation and training that we sold to medical schools for teaching surgeons how to perform uh, medical procedures. We developed all kinds of uh, haptic technologies for, for a wide range of applications. And, uh, and, and again, you know, for me, the most interesting thing was always the reactions people would have. And so the market took longer than, than expected. Um, and yet the reactions that consumers would have when they tried virtual experiences, augmented experiences were, uh, you know, what kept me convinced that it's just a matter of time. Um, and then in the early 2000s, I, I left Immersion. That company's still around. It's probably the oldest, uh, oldest VR company from the early days. Might be the only VR company still around from the early days. But I left in the early 2000s. I founded Outland Research to focus on augmented reality technologies, uh, geospatial technologies. Uh, that was, uh, I think, 2004. And then, uh, and then uh, Google acquired that in 2011. And then uh, I founded my current company in 2014, which is Unanimous AI, an artificial intelligence company. But at Unanimous AI, we actually uh, use AI in a in a unique and interesting way, which is we we use the technology to connect groups of people together in shared environments and amplify their collective intelligence. And so uh, it is a technology that that also ultimately uh, is uh, is heading towards the metaverse, uh, which is, you know, the ultimate shared environment. So uh, my career has really been, you know, focused on on the metaverse. Uh, I'm a big proponent, but at the same time, I'm also a, a vocal, uh, I wouldn't call it, say critic, but a, a vocal uh, person who uh, warns about the potential dangers of the metaverse and the need uh, the need to put guardrails in place, the need for regulation. And so I also uh, speak and write often about about those topics because my my interest is that the, you know, the metaverse happens, but it happens in a way that protects consumers. And so we don't end up in a uh, with a technology like social media, for example, which um, had you know all kinds of utopian visions, but ended up being tainted by uh, by a lack of regulation, a lack of guardrails. So um, that I think that brings me to the, the present of the metaverse. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. And uh, as, as you guys can see, uh, Lois is, uh, is more than qualified to talk about what we're going to be talking about here today, which is actually, as uh, he was saying, uh, right at the end of his last sentences uh, is like really the growth of the metaverse and like obviously uh, metaverse marketing, right? Because eventually companies are going to start exploring that. And now we're going to have more tools and more capabilities and features than ever that we can explore as marketers in order to uh, perhaps persuade. I don't really like that word, but like perhaps persuade or maybe um, uh, try and convince people about the products that we're selling, right? And so as Lois said, uh, of having guardrails, of having, you know, discussing the uh, uh, the, the issues of safety in the metaverse and, and privacy and, and how are companies going to handle this new, very powerful weapon that we have as marketers right now. Um, and uh, I wouldn't call it weapon, though. I would call it tool that we have right now as marketers um, and how we use it, right? Because uh, I don't think any technologies are inherently good or bad. It's just how we use it, right? And, um, and as you guys can see um uh, lois has basically invented uh virtual reality and augmented reality and so i think it's going to be a very interesting discussion as we're going to be discussing metaverse advertising right so i'm going to get started with the first uh the first question for you i would love to hear your perspective on this what is the metaverse for you uh lois sure um so you know my my perspective on on metaverse, which and it, you know, metaverse is a is a new word uh, for you know for people who've been around for a long time. You know, metaverse you know obviously comes from from science fiction and has a historical background, but it really is a new word in terms of representing this entire industry. Um, back in the, back in the early '90s, you know, the, the word cyberspace was actually used to <laughs> to represent uh, this you know this idea of virtual worlds. Uh, at the present time, I actually like the word metaverse. I like the word metaverse much better than cyberspace. Uh, cyberspace to me always kind of conjured these images of you know robots with red eyes that are going to come you know kill everybody. Uh, metaverse, I think, is a, is a friendlier word and it's a, it's a more positive word. I, I see it as I see the, the word really representing the, the societal transition uh, from a world that's currently based on flat media. Uh, viewed in the third person to a world that's mostly immersive media experienced in the first person. And uh, and I really see that taking two forms. I, I see there being a, a virtual metaverse and an augmented metaverse. Uh, to me, you know, the virtual metaverse is what most people think of, you know, simulated worlds where uh, people get together uh, represented by avatars and um, can socialize, can shop, can conduct business, can work. You know, the virtual metaverse is really about uh, wearing, uh, you know, full head-mounted uh, uh, vision systems that uh, bring you into a completely simulated world. And, and then the augmented metaverse, which to me is, um, it, you know, the use of augmented reality to enhance and embellish the real world with virtual content. And the augmented metaverse, you know, comes with you everywhere, whether you're uh, out shopping or walking down the street or going on a hike or uh, or socializing with friends. I see the augmented metaverse as um, as really impacting people's entire daily life, whereas the virtual metaverse, I think, is more uh, impacting people for you know for periods of time. Um, that said, I think both uh, both virtual reality and augmented reality and this idea of the metaverse. Um, 
it it is a fundamental change in the role of the user, right? It, I mean, it's it fundamentally changes the user from an outsider uh, looking in at content to an active participant who's actually experiencing content, and and so that's the importance of this change from an ecosystem of flat media to an ecosystem of immersive media. And again, it's really a change from viewing content to experiencing content. And so, you know, in terms of marketing, um, that will have the same effect on marketing. It will affect every every industry that involves content. But in the world of marketing, we're talking about changing from a world where marketing tools and tactics and techniques are really focused on flat media, images, text, video that is are presented to users to a world of immersive media where the tools and tactics of marketing are um, are immersive experiences that that in, that people engage with, and uh, and I think it will be a really fundamental change. I in, you know I think the metaverse will change every industry, but I, I'm not. There's few industries that will get changed as much as marketing, uh, because marketing is really an industry that focuses on um, digital media, uh, and it's you know even going back. To television, you know, if, for the early days of television, marketing has been flat media, people uh, viewing from the outside. Uh, that is uh, was transported into the the internet age. Um, the metaverse is going to change that. Flat media is not going to be the way uh, that marketeers engage with consumers ten years from now. I mean, there'll be some of that, but the focus, I think, within ten years will be immersive experiences definitely no doubt and um it's it's interesting to realize that it sounds something that uh it's it sounds like a simple shift but it really is not because it's it's a whole mindset shift uh as you said that the consumer is not is not going to be just watching the experience anymore now he's going to be participating in the experience he's going to be actively participating in the marketing campaigns of companies and uh, as i said at the beginning now marketers have more more tools than ever in order to impact this potential customer and really making them live uh live the company's ethos for example or maybe live some of the company's values that they want this consumer to perceive and that's extremely impactful right like that's um one of the foundational aspects of marketing is emotion. So now you're gonna get to be able to make consumers feel more emotions than ever and connect these with your brand, right? So I think that brings me to my next question. Uh, in that context of uh, changing from flat media to immersive media and the metaverse coming as uh, a huge tool for marketers, how do you think that's gonna affect advertising, right? I think based on the context and the image that you painted for us, it's pretty obvious, but I'd love to hear from you how do you think it's going to affect advertising yeah so i think at the highest level it's going to uh again shifts from content to experiences uh i i see two really primary forms of advertising emerging uh one i would refer to as virtual product placements and one i would refer to as virtual spokespeople um, virtual product placements i would describe as um, as artifacts that are placed into environments um, they could be products, they could be activities, they could be uh, just characters, avatars people see that um, that are placed there on behalf of sponsors to um, to promote products, services, um, messaging, 
in both real and virtual environments. And it's, it's worth mentioning that you know these these tactics will be slightly different, but still similar in terms of fully virtual world. You, you can imagine a virtual product placement in a fully virtual world. Um, that's kind of a, a, an obvious thing that, that marketeers will do. You're, you're socializing in a fully virtual world and um, and you will see a, a product or a service or uh, let's say it's a, a, a car. Right, you're you're in a fully virtual world, and you see a ver you see a car, and uh, and you might think, oh, it's just you know somebody, some other user in this world has this you know has you know, bought this virtual car, and I'm just seeing it, and you might not realize, no, that's actually a targeted product placement that uh, a marketeer paid to put there. Uh, that car might be a you know uh, might look photorealistic, it um, and so it could be a very you know realistic and compelling. Um, uh, in you know, engagement, you can walk around the car. You you know it will be more real than just for for example just seeing a picture of it. Um, but you you know you see that car and um, and you are uh, influenced, and you actually might be subconsciously influenced because you might just walk by it and see it, and and that could be a very effective form of marketing. Uh, and it, and because it's targeted. It, it opens up possibilities that are really you couldn't happen as easily in the real world, which is I might walk by a certain place in the metaverse and see a virtual car and it uh, it could be a you know, Toyota Prius and and it could be targeted because the because my profile suggests I might buy a Toyota Prius or somebody else walking by that same spot might see a completely different car or they might see a completely different product. They might be you know, they might be seeing something else. But but these idea of virtual product placements um, can be as simple as a place car, but they could also be more uh, certainly far more creative, um, meaning I could be walking down the street in the in a virtual world and I could see somebody walking the other way, uh, drinking a Red Bull, and I might you know, just subconsciously think, oh, like I, you know, I, I really wish I had a Red Bull or I might, you know, or, or I might be walking and I might see, you know, a bunch of people uh, drinking, you know, Red Bulls and I might think like, oh, wow, like it's popular around here. And, and I might not realize like, no, like these were targeted product placements. They were put there for me to experience. They were put there um, in ways where I see them, but the person walking next to me might see completely different things. And so um, they're very powerful forms of advertising, as you could also imagine. Uh, they are so powerful that they could become predatory uh, if there's not guardrails in place because it you know, these are I, I refer to these as you know promotionally altered experiences um, they I might not be able to tell the difference between are those really just people other people in the metaverse drinking red bulls or are or are those placed products and, and I think you know if you're a marketeer the most effective thing would be, for people not to be able to tell the difference, because that uh, is a more effective advertising, I would push back on that and say, no, there should be guardrails in place so people can tell the difference. A product placement looks different because if you don't have those guardrails, then people won't trust anything, and that, and then marketing won't be effective anyway. And so, um, and, and you know, this lack of when you lose trust. Marketing becomes less powerful. Uh, the metaverse could be tainted. I think we've experienced that with social media, where people lose trust that they don't. Uh, they're now skeptical, and so uh, that affects marketing. So I, I think you know when we're talking about marketing in the metaverse, the potential is so powerful that 
Um, guardrails are necessary. They protect consumers, but I actually also think they protect the world of marketing because you would create a playing field where people still trust that environment. Um, and, and again, uh, if I'm walking down the street in the metaverse and I see, you know, I see people walking past me holding shopping bags from a particular store. There might maybe maybe just a store that's up this down the street, right? And so I see people wearing shopping bags, and and those could be placed, and maybe uh, uh, they look different. So I know, oh, those are targeted placements. Okay, it's still a powerful form of advertising. It's just not manipulating my my sense of reality. It's I know it's an advertisement, and it's still an effective form of advertising. And, and I and. And the same exact things we also need to you know, transport into the augmented metaverse because these things will happen in the real world, right? I will be walking down the street in the real world and I will see people in products and, and uh, you know, product placements and, and you know, virtual cars and things, again, influencing me. And so again, I could be walking down a real street in a real city and I could see you know, a virtual person walk by uh, that's wearing a t-shirt for a sports bar that just happens to be on the next block, right? Like that will be an effective form of advertising. Uh, my my advice is that we should make sure that that still is clearly an advertisement and not, and don't, uh, don't allow the boundaries between what's real and what's virtual to be blurred so that you could be, you the consumer could be confused because again, then you won't trust anything. Um, so, so that's virtual product placements. And, you know, this goes further than to virtual spokespeople, virtual spokespeople, the same idea, but now it's an, an avatar that is, uh, controlled by, uh, AI algorithms, and it's going to engage you in promotional conversation. And so here the idea is, okay, uh, a, uh, I'm walking down the street and somebody walks up to me, or maybe I'm sitting in a virtual coffee shop and and there's somebody next to me and and I, I strike up a conversation and, and that person might be a targeted promotional experience. That promotional experience could be a virtual spokesperson who has a promotional agenda and it's and it's gonna convey the messaging uh, conversationally. And so uh, as an example, in that example of the virtual car maybe i and and there's really two different types of virtual spokespeople that that are worth mentioning i, I would refer to them as active and passive so passive might be i'm walking by this virtual car and there's two people standing in front of the car talking about how great it is right they're virtual people and they're talking about oh i love this new prius and it, you know, it has, gets great gas mileage and it's you know and it you know, has so much more space than it had than the last version. And I might just walk by and hear people talking about it. And, and that's a pretty subtle form of advertising that, um, that I could experience. I would call that passive because I'm just witnessing it. And again, I think it's an, I think it's a valid form of advertising. If I, the consumer don't confuse those people for real people, if I think they're real people, then it becomes predatory. It becomes manipulative. But if I know that that's advertising and I think, oh, like that, that's just a creative medium that I see. Okay. And those people might, you know, then advertisers might make those people funny and creative and, you know, and, and, and so I think that passive virtual spokespeople is interesting. And then active would be if I'm actually engaged in a conversation. I'm walking by and somebody, you know, virtual person, AI generated says, you know, uh, hey, you know, 
did you know, did you have you seen this new you know the new Prius right and and if they approach me like that okay I would realize okay that's a that's a salesperson and so I, that's uh, and so I, I think that again that's a valid form of advertising it, it's AI generated um, I, I think that I think there still needs to be some guardrails in place because a virtual spokesperson that's AI generated is potentially a lot more persuasive than a human spokesperson. And, and it's worth talking about that for a minute, which is, okay, um, this system will be designed to engage me in the conversation. It will have an agenda. The agenda might be to tell me the features and benefits of a product. Fine. Um, this, you know, this seemed like science fiction just a few years ago, but now, you know, AI has advanced so much over the last, really the last 18 months of using technology like called large language models and photorealistic avatars that we're really, this is not far off. This is not far off that, that, um, that this virtual spokesperson can engage me in conversation. Okay, if I know that it's promotional, fine. That's, that makes it fair. I'm on fair ground. I know, it, I know it's not just a real person. Um, but the other pieces that, that concern me are that, um, like any type of targeted advertising, this spokesperson, this virtual spokesperson, the algorithms running this spokesperson could potentially have access to my profile, access to all the data that a platform collected about me. It knows my interests. It knows, uh, it knows my, uh, my purchases. It knows, you know, the types of friends that I have. It knows what my occupation is. It might know, uh, you know, my spending habits. And it might, it might know everything. Like, I mean, these are types of things that that uh, platforms already know in social media about people, uh, and use, you know, social media platforms use all these type of information to target people in very specific ways. That same thing will happen with a promotional conversation. So now, this promotional avatar uh, will engage me in conversation. It will. Uh, it will choose me <laughs> based on my profile, but it also could, in the conversation, use things about me. It could use the fact that it might know what my interests are. It might know what my values are. It might know, and, and it might be, you know, cross the line from promotional to predatory if it if it um, if it has all this information about you. I mean, imagine interacting with a real spokes, or a real salesperson. Like you walk into a real store and a real salesperson, if that real salesperson had, you know, this dossier <laughs> about you and knew knew everything about you, that would be, you know, pretty unfair. This AI system will will have access to that level of information uh, should it be able to use that information in crafting a promotional conversation. I think there should be guard guardrails on that. Uh, the, the, the one last piece I'll mention is that these systems will also uh, have access to our facial expressions, our vocal inflections, even our vital signs. Uh, Meta just announced last uh, few days ago that their new uh, their next headset will track facial expressions, both eye and mouth. Uh, of course, they're doing that. They're, and and the thing is, they're doing that for both positive and negative reasons. Positive reason is that you know tracking facial expressions could make your avatar reflect your facial expressions that's cool that makes the, that makes the metaverse more human that makes social interactions more human the question is should the platforms be able to use that same facial expression and vocal inflection which is basically emotion tracking use that emotion tracking so that a conversational avatar 
can adjust its tactics based on how you're reacting. So again, imagine you could imagine a world where I'm walking down the street in a virtual or augmented world and I get engaged in a promotional conversation from a, uh, a an AI, AI controlled uh, agent and um, and it's asking me about you know uh, about you know how, how do you like your car or uh, and it's reading my facial expressions it's it's reading you know oh like it might detect oh this person's really unhappy about their current car or or it mentions a certain feature and uh, and maybe it detects that that got my interest because it's looking at my blood pressure or it's looking at uh it, it's looking at the size of my pupils like th these are very real things that uh, will be available to metaverse platforms in the very near future uh, blood pressure a heart rate those are already being built into earbuds uh, they will be detected they have valuable uses for things like exercise applications meditation applications should you know, metaverse platforms be able to sell that you know analysis to potential marketeers so that their avatar their you know their virtual spokespeople can adjust their tactics based on this very intimate emotional analysis of you know, of uh, face and voice and vital signs I, I don't think people want that i don't think people want to be advertised to knowing that this interactive experience is being adjusted in real time based on your blood pressure and um unless there's guardrails in place it will happen i, I mean if if I was a company trying to maximize, make the most persuasive advertisement possible, and I had access to blood pressure, I would use it. If there are guardrails that say, no, you cannot use blood pressure, then I wouldn't use it. And I wouldn't have to worry that my competitor is going to use it. So it's, I mean, it is like very often, you know, regulation, guardrails, policy, you know, is looked at as a dirty word, you know, it puts restrictions, but it also means you don't have to engage in an arms race with you know, your competitors to see, you know, who could become the best at uh, detecting blood pressure and respiration and adjusting advertisements in real time to be the most persuasive possible. Instead, you could focus on who could make the most clever and creative, you know, advertisement that people just, they want to engage because it's fun, because it's interesting. I mean, that's, so uh, it's, um, the possibilities are so uh, extreme that you know my hope is that right you know guardrails are put in place so that marketeers focus on the creative aspects focus on the uh you know you know having people engage in experiences that are you know fascinating or fun or funny and that's what you know that's what gets draws them in not you know using ai technologies and sensing technologies to um to, to, to cross that line from marketing to persuasion. I love the, 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 like all of the, the stuff that you said, because, um, I completely, and, and we've discussed this in the last conversation, right? I completely agree with you. I think, um, the, uh, the formats that you have uh, described there are very interesting. I would like to add up to to those formats. One thing that I envision happening a lot. Two things that I also envision happening a lot is, first one, uh, if like 
triggered events. So for example, let's say I purchase a can of uh, Coca-Cola in the supermarket. And uh, as I grab this can from the uh, from the shelf, like it activates an event because it's Christmas, for example. And then, you know, Coca-Cola is huge when it comes to Christmas. It activates an event and San suddenly I see a Santa Claus, you know, right beside me, you know, telling me a little bit about, I don't know, like the history of Coca-Cola, for example. So I also see a lot of that happening, like event, uh, triggered events, uh, promotional content, which is a form of product placement, right? Uh, I also see a lot of, um, let's say game gamified experiences or maybe like uh, as i like to call them also like scavenger hunts or quests you know that uh, a brand uh proposes to you based on your action or maybe based on your location and maybe based on what you're looking at and they see for example i see a toyota uh, uh driving down the street and then uh the, the 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 platform or maybe the software identifies that i'm looking to the to the toyota a little too long Long. and then it proposes a quest to me like would you like to i don't know like would you like to get um like some type of promotional um uh, discount or maybe something like that you know in order to do a quest or maybe like would you like to do a toyota quest for example and then you start doing this scavenger hunt throughout the city or maybe in the metaverse in order to get something on top of uh, uh a thing that you're already interested about right so not only that uh is it might be fun to the user in a sense but at the same time like um it shows the brand that there's someone really interested about their product and that for marketers is gold right and so that's you know that product that is product placements when it comes to conversational uh ai bots or virtual spokespeople as you like to call it like i think that's also extremely interesting because of the stuff that you said like the the data that some marketers might have access to or maybe some platforms might have access to it's like and i said this before to you right like it's it's like having the most advanced and most capable salesperson sitting in front of you trying to sell your product and they have not only access to your reactions in real time and they can process it a lot better than a human would but they also like have all of the background um information on you they know what you're interested about they know what the stuff that you like they know what have you bought in the last few days and so uh they probably would have access to your uh, your financial information as well they know if you can buy that product or not and if you have money at that moment available to buy the product so at the same time that this is scary and when you say guardrails i i immediately envision like um when i go to google for example when i type in a keyword and i want to look for something the first few results are ads and and pretty much everyone knows that right uh i, I think some people might not uh, uh know it but like i i believe most people know it that it's ads you know because it's highlighted in there as ads so i envision something similar happening in the metaverse uh either uh virtual reality or augmented reality as in like for example you see an object in uh vr and ar and they're kind of highlighted in a different way so you see it's virtual even though it's photorealistic so i don't know that might be a way of you know showing people that's actually a virtual thing and actually an ad that was placed by a brand you know so i immediately envisioned that um 
But at the same time, like I love how you wrapped it up talking about the experience, talking about making it fun because these dangers are going to be, you know, they're real, you know, it's going to happen eventually. So we definitely need to have guardrails in place. But I think what is the best way for a brand to anticipate that and not being a part of the predatory advertising industry is about making it about the experience, making it fun, right? Focusing on like really making the users feel something positive towards your brand. And I think that's that might be the biggest shift inside of metaverse advertising, right? So I completely agree. Uh, lots of lots of interesting things that you brought up. The, the first being um, really allowing brands to to have people experience what they want their brand to represent. And so when as you were talking about um, you know the idea of somebody you know picking up a product, the, the thing that came to mind for me was I could imagine that you know somebody's uh, in a, a real store. Uh, and with augmented reality glasses on and they, they grab a Red Bull and uh, and the instant they pick it up off the shelf, they suddenly are feel like they're skydiving. Like they're just trans transported for, you know, for six seconds. Like, like the, the instant, like the experience of, of picking up a Red Bull could be the experience of skydiving for six seconds. Like, and it could be terrifying and thrilling for six seconds. And you just like you like, it happens and it goes away and you just like that was red bull and and maybe you pick up a different you know a different flavor of red bull and you're you know you're downhill skiing for six seconds and it's and you have and so like to me those you know that's an example that would would be an example of a brand um using the using the value they've already created in in their messaging in the which is you know red bull's a great example because it's very experiential to, to begin with um and they're doing something where now people maybe want to go actually pick up can't like you're like you're in a store you want to actually just you know touch a red bull because you're gonna you want to have that experience and maybe every time you touch a red bull it's a different it's a different experience it's you know you're uh you, you touch a red bull you're scuba diving you touch a red bull you're uh you're skateboarding and um and and so that you know that to me is the type of marketing that gives the consumer value uh, it's creative. Uh, it's not predatory. It doesn't rely on uh, tracking and targeting and and manipulating people. And uh, and I think you know it's that perspective that would open up so many you know so many really interesting things that um, that marketeers can do. Um, and the same is true in you know in purely virtual worlds. Uh, the uh, when, you talk, when we talk about conversational advertising, uh, you know, conversational advertising uh, has very easily could become predatory just because the tech, you know, it's it will be AI based, and you know, a, so much of AI research comes out of um, you know systems that are trained on you know games, right? Like AI systems that you know, were built to play chess and and poker and Go and, and like the the reason that AI systems are trained that way is that you can give them a goal, which is to win, and they can become really good at winning. And so, um, if an AI system could be you know can be trained to you know beat the world's best chess player or the world's best goal player, uh, what you know what chance do consumers have when, if AI systems are trained to look at your profile, engage you in conversation, and persuade you 
to buy something that you don't need or believe something that's not true. If that's what's defined as winning, like these AI systems, these interactive conversational systems could be very, very dangerous. On the other hand, if there are guardrails in place and people don't go that down that direction, uh, you could imagine being engaged in, with a conversational agent that would be like, you know, sitting down with a, you know, with a comedian that is just funny, right? Like, like if you, you know, it, 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 or, you know, if you're a sports fan, you could be sitting down with, you know, uh, a, um, you know, a sports forecast or a sports um, broadcaster who is, you know, is telling you something like you're engaging in a conversation. They're telling you something that's a value of information about, you know, a sporting event, but they're also marketing you. Like if the content is creative and engaging and it's not manipulative, um, I think that that's, I think that's great. I think that that's actually better for people. Like it's, you know, we, in, in today's world of marketing, you know, people are passive viewers most of the time. Uh, certainly television marketing, people are passive viewers, but even like most internet marketing or pop-up uh, videos or things where you're pa passive, <clears throat> much better if people are active, if people are uh, engaging, uh, learning things. And, and so I think like, I, I do think marketing the metaverse can be this very positive thing as long as it doesn't, you know, it, it the 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 platforms don't allow access to the dangerous parts and, and that's why when like when i say guardrails i'm really not saying guardrail guardrails on marketing agencies i'm not saying guardrails on creatives i'm saying guardrails on platforms right it's the platforms that are going to have the decision of whether or not they're gonna, you know, give you real-time access to blood pressure and heart rate and facial expressions, and allow you to, um, to you know, to adjust advertising tactics, you know, based on real-time responses. Um, and again, the platforms might not even want to do that, but if there's a competitive platform that does it, then they're going to get forced in that direction. And, and that's really the benefit of guardrails; is it creates playing field. Um, and if you know, if you if nobody can use blood pressure in advertising, then nobody will use it, and they'll find other creative ways, and and they won't feel like their competitor is going to use it, so they won't end up in this arms race. So um, you know, my you know, it's I, I I point that out because people again, most people have a distaste to you know the word regulation and feel like it could be um, limit innovation. Uh, and I think, you know, there's truth to that, but then there's also, you know, putting guardrails in place so that you're not in an arms race that drives your business in a direction you don't necessarily even want it to go in. I mean, and we see that we saw this happen with social media. These social media platforms were um, really had your utopian vision, bring people together, democratize the world, give, you know, the little guy a voice, does all these things. And yet their business their current business of social media companies has nothing to do with that. Their business is to profile people and then sell targeted advertising. That's their business. That's They've become the best at profiling people and selling targeted advertising. And 
there's unforeseen consequences of you know polarizing populations and, and spreading misinformation. They didn't set out to do that. Social media companies didn't say, let's create a company that you know uh, that's going to be really good at tracking and profiling people so we can spread misinformation. Like that's not that's not what they set out to do. They set out to do something positive, and there just weren't guardrails in place. And um, and if their competitor starts, you know, just doing a little bit more targeting, then they have to do it. And 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 uh, and so things like regulation actually are, could be very positive for an industry, um, and can pr- protect the metaverse so that people trust trust their experiences. And, and that's you know, right now in social media, people are you know, people have a tainted image of of social media companies. There's kind of you know, these really, you know, really positive brands now are not as positive in terms of just sentiment. And, um, and people just are, you know, don't trust the information they get the way they, you know, as much as they used to. In the metaverse, if people can't trust their experiences, right? If you, if you have a if experience in the metaverse and you can't trust, is this real or is this, you know, did somebody pay to put this here? And I don't even know if I can't trust my experiences, then I won't trust anything in the metaverse. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's, it's good for the industry. It's good for advertisers, good for consumers to have, you know, some, you know guardrails in place that protect, you know, authenticity of experiences. And, and, and like you, like, like you said, it does, it can be very simple, which is if I can tell the difference between promotional content and just authentic content that, you know, that's you know a, a big part of it. I mean, if uh, and in being able to tell the difference could just mean it just it just looks different. Uh, promotional content could be stylized differently. It could you know it just visually it, it could look different. So I know you know I'm I'm in an environment. I see a bunch of things and I see something that that is a product placement. If it looks different, fine. I know it's a product placement. I still might be particularly interested in it. I still might think, you know, and, and you know, if it's a furniture company, if it's IKEA advertising in the metaverse, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a virtual hotel and I see a, you know, a virtual piece of furniture that was placed there, and it was placed there specifically for me to see based on my profile. If it looks different, maybe I'll think like, oh, like they, you know, what is that? It was placed there because it's in the style that I like. If I know it was placed there, then it's not predatory. Exactly, and um, and it's funny how um, I love some of the examples that you gave. I think these could be perfectly utilized by brands in a very meaningful way. So, so take the Red Bull example um, that you grab a can in the shelf of the supermarket, and uh, suddenly you're you're skydiving, you know, and 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 there's the whole you know Red Bull gives you wings, so suddenly you start flying as well. So I think that kind of campaign by itself it can become viral and uh, and that's a great thing for the brand you know people are going to supermarkets and uh there's this whole red bull shortage because you know people are going to the supermarkets and want to grab the the cans of red bull and so that's extremely positive for red bull right and it doesn't have to be predatory and i love this perspective and uh if you take the virtual spokespeople example um like because uh, me as a copywriter and also as a salesperson someone with experience with creating uh high converting copy and and 
and and also getting into sales calls and trying to convert clients like uh, it's clear that uh, an AI could definitely outperform me in a sales conversation you know and uh, especially because like if you think about um, uh, copywriting for example when you get into a landing page that has a sales letter in it that people read through it and then the sales letter uh, approaches their objections and also talks about some of the benefits of the products and they still convert a lot of people um, and then you combine that with a salesperson, you know, that is not just a regular salesperson. As you said, it can uh, see uh, your, pup your pupil dilating. It can take a look at your blood pressure. It has a lot of information about you. If you combine all of those things, it's a, like a killer machine, you know? So um, I love the example of like having, for example, like a, a, a sports person, you know, like, uh, uh, I, I don't know, like let's put Kobe Bryant, you know, in, the, in, in Times Square talking about a new product by Nike, for example. And I, I think that kind of campaign by itself would attract a lot of young, you know, uh, young kids, a lot of teenagers that want to be basketball players just because they're seeing that guy there and, and like they want to take pictures with that guy. They want to, you know, like, so the campaign by itself starts working because it's so well thought and it's about the experience or the comedian example. I also love that um, if you put Jim Carrey to try and sell you a product, you know, it's, you're going to have so much fun in the conversation. You're going to end up buying the product. And um, and he's going to be, I can even imagine, like you're you're sitting in a bench in a, in a, in a park or something. And then all of a sudden, Gene Carey um, approaches you and sits with you in the bench and starts making you laugh. And then all of a sudden, he pulls out a product and says, all right, you know, this is an advertised campaign, right? And then like, it's just it's just um it's so obvious but it's also so much fun that y I, you could definitely see that working so um i completely agree with you that that there should be guardrails in place um especially um these uh platforms the softwares they should put these guardrails in place but at the end of the day as i often say especially on linkedin and i have said here in the podcast quite a few times the experience is going to win it's not like the top performing sales bot AI, you know, it's not the top performing um, uh, brand placement or, or whatever product placement. It's the actual experience, right? So, so I love how um, we can definitely put guardrails in place, but the real winner is going to be the one that respects the user, and um, and 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 really brings uh, a moment of joy into their lives throughout their campaign, right? And links that with um their brand and their company so i think that might be the the biggest mindset shift marketers should have right absolutely i mean those are all uh, i agree with all that 100 percent in the uh the jim carrey example is a is a great one i mean i could uh, uh i mean i could imagine that you know people feel like they got their money's worth for the for the promotion for the you know they yes they were advertised to but they were entertained they were entertained in a very personal immersive way um and you know that you know that should be how people are leveraging the technology uh, rather than leveraging the you know the data in ways that can be manipulative and uh, and again it it, the, the the creative possibilities are so extreme that um, you know the, the the industry should focus in that direction. 
it's like there are no limits right and and so yeah. why would you you know settle for uh being inside of a of a canvas you know being inside of mm -hmm. a, a you know a, a flat i don't know a flat format or maybe like a, a, an extremely well scripted ai sales body if you can explore pretty much the whole spectrum of the experience you know and um and yeah like uh i i i think um as i often say we're heading towards a customer centric culture you know so the brands that don't do something focused on making their customer feel good and um and you know really uh let's say closing the gap of the relationship between the customer and the brand in a meaningful way you know so the brands that don't do that are the brands that are definitely going to fail because i think after the whole social media era after all of the things that we have experienced in the past few years when it comes to marketing and advertising i think the customer is educated now and uh, there's no turning back you know absolutely um and I, I i agree with you it's the brands should really focus on uh focus on the customer in terms of what are they giving what are they giving the customer Uh, as opposed to what you know how are they targeting the customer um uh, because there's you know there's so much opportunity to entertain and inform in these interactive experiences and um yeah and again it's i you know it's an exciting time for for the marketing industry because it is this transition i mean there's there really hasn't been that many times in 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 human history right i mean there was there was you know there was marketing you know 100 years ago and uh and then radio happened and that you know created an entirely different form of of marketing um and then television happened and that created an entirely different form of marketing um and then the internet happened and that created an entirely different form of marketing and, and now the metaverse is happening and, and really it's this transition to immersive media which is really experiences and that will be you know in it in some sense that the last transition because once once you can prevent present content in the in the form that people were meant to perceive it <laughs> uh which is integrated into their world that's you know that's really the the evolution of media and it's um i mean it's worth saying that which is this you know this transition from flat media to immersive media is really this transition from uh requiring people to look at screens to you know to really documents on screens whether they're video or or text or images to experiences that that's you know are are stimulating the senses in the way we were meant to perceive information and so like it's very often you know like a lot of people feel like oh like the metaverse is you know, taking people away from being human it's making people less human um and like i get that perspective but i think the metaverse is actually a push that helps bring back some of the the humanity and i and the example i like to give is you know right now you can you know go out on the street and you'll see lots of people walking down the street you know staring down a little screen in their hand not looking at anything you know bumping into you know uh a uh you know, bumping into a telephone pole because they're staring at their screen at content um that's flat content person staring at it through a window 
uh, 10 years from now, uh, we'll see lots of people walking down the street with augmented reality eyewear and their heads won't be bent down. Their heads will be up and the content will be all around them and they and it will just be naturally integrated into their world. And they will look back at the time when people were staring down little screens as, you know, um, you know, a very unnatural way to interact with information. So we really are good taking this transition to nat a natural way to interact with information. Um, and if we can trust it, right? Like to me, like, like it's going to be natural. The question is, can we trust the information? Can we trust that there aren't people you know, pulling the strings behind the scenes in ways that are predatory? Um, if that's not happening and we can trust it, then it, will, it really will be, um, you know, a, a more humanizing technology. Definitely, definitely. Um, I completely agree with it. And I think uh, that wraps up our conversation perfectly, you know, um, and I really hope that our listeners have taken as much value as I did in this conversation, because it's really, um, it makes me feel really good to have these conversations. Um, because it's, uh, it, because we're not really talking about, you know, tactics here. We're not really talking about, you know, some of the marketing stunts that your company can try in order to, um, to thrive in the metaverse. No, we're actually talking about the you know, purpose. We're talking about the deep philosophical questions uh, that come with uh, being in the metaverse, right? So, um, so Lois, I really appreciate you being with me here today. I really enjoyed the conversation, and uh, I really hope our listeners did too. So, so yeah, thank you very much for me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no, I uh, it was it was fun, uh, and. Uh, Anybody who uh, who's interested in these types of topics, uh, I, I write often about these topics for uh, for VentureBeat and, and other places. So uh, I'm always trying to take an interesting angle on you know, the implications of, of VR and AR and AI on, on society. Uh, also, point people to a couple organizations that do good work in this space. And it, because if, you know, I, I said, you know, I've said some cautionary things about the metaverse, um, and you know, it's worth pointing out. You know, there's there are groups out there that think about this. There's one group called the Future Marketing Institute that um, I'm an advisor to. It's, uh, it's a think tank out of York University in Canada. Uh, they publish a lot of stuff about marketing and uh, and really are thoughtful about you know about the positive you know, keeping things in the positive side of marketing uh there's a, a group called uh xrsi the the uh, extended reality safety initiative um, that i'm advisor to as well uh they have a, a big event in december uh called metaverse safety week again really thinking about uh protecting consumers for, for the reason that everybody uh you know, that everybody wants, which is a safe metaverse, and to avoid going down this path that that social media went down, which what really wasn't helpful for anybody, um, and it'll take a lot of time to for people to get trust back in the world of social media. Let's you know, let's learn from that and and get ahead of the curve. And 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 so uh, I definitely point people towards this uh, metaverse safety week. It's be lots of. Uh, it's in December. Lots of different talks about keeping the metaverse safe. And then, and then last, uh, there's a, another group called the Responsible Metaverse Alliance uh, that um, I am uh, a chief scientist for. That again is focused on um, 
focused on creating responsible metaverse, uh, really thinking about it primarily from this idea of, uh, of policy and regulation and trying to educate governments of, you know, trying to educate governments of what's coming because um, it's, it's coming fast. And if you're, you know, if you're trying to regulate the, the world you see right now, you're always behind and they need to be thinking five to 10 years out because it is moving fast. And so uh, Responsible Metaverse Alliance is really about educating uh, politicians and governments about what's going to be possible in the metaverse and, uh, and why it's important to, you know, to protect, protect consumers. Uh, so just want to point people towards those directions because again, I'm, I'm a big fan of the metaverse. Uh, I just feel like I need to give equal time to the dangers so that we end up in this, uh, end up in a place that is, um, you know, can just take advantage of the, really the wild creativity that, that the metaverse should unleash. Definitely. I think that's extremely important. And uh, I really hope that we have uh, more people advocating for that in the near future and not just, you know, what are the latest tactics that you can use your metaverse advertising to bump your conversion into 0.3%, you know, like uh, let's, let's, let's talk about, let's talk more about the experience itself and not as much about, you know, the tactic, tactics to increase conversion and like, what are the new hooks that you can use in your AI sales bot in order to uh, catch the attention of your prospects? You know, I really hope that's not a thing. I I'm pretty sure some people are going to talk about it, but uh, hopefully we're going to have more people talking about the experience itself and uh, uh, a way to create uh, experiences that feel good and do not the experiences that don't um violate the user's space let's say i guess i can call it and um and you know less people talking about the actual you know uh details and tactics on how to increase conversion so lois once again thank you very much i think you also already said that people can follow your articles on venture uh i think it's venture beat right yeah. um uh but uh how can people follow you on social media like uh i know you're very active on linkedin but feel free to yeah. also give out some of your other links as well uh yeah so i'm on linkedin just uh lewis rosenberg on linkedin uh post a lot of my articles there so it's a good place to follow and uh and also on twitter uh lewis b rosenberg on twitter um yeah it's uh people can also find my my current company unanimous ai which is just at unanimous.ai and again uh we uh we do uh We use AI in a, in a positive way, which is to, instead of replacing people with algorithms, which is another one of my concerns, <laughs> we use AI to, to, uh, to connect groups of people together and, and amplify their real human intelligence. And so uh, maybe that could, be, that could be a topic for, for another, uh, another podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I would love to discuss that with you for sure. We do um, a lot of work in marketing. Uh, a lot of our customers are, are, uh, are marketing Uh, marketing agencies, uh, uh, people doing market research, and again, it's uh, we use AI in what I hope and think is a really positive, positive way for uh, for marketing. Awesome, awesome. So you guys, uh, you heard it. Uh, follow Lois. You're not going to regret it because he shares a lot of very, very valuable content. And uh, and Lois, once again, 
I really appreciate you being here with me today. Uh, it was an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it. I'm pretty sure our, our listeners are going to enjoy it uh, uh, as much as I did, or maybe even more. And uh, you guys, if you want to follow me, you already know it. It's Eli Santos on LinkedIn, E-L-Y space Santos. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to us today. And I'll see you in the next episode.